This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Jokum. Matt is here, and we have a ton to unpack from the Formula One opening weekend in Bahrain. But first, just want to say our condolences to Johnny Dumfries, Aaron Senna's longtime teammate, who kind of got the short end of the stick more often than not, unfortunately, and had a sports car career for a little bit after that. So... Matt, I don't know if you have anything to add there. Yeah, he's. He, I mean, obviously, black and white, it, his results weren't great, but I think there was a lot more to that story, as is the case oftentimes in Formula 1. There's a lot more to, this, to the results that meet the eyes. So he definitely went on and had a fulfilling career in sports cars. So just wishing his family well during this, this time. Yeah. All right. Matt, this was the most hectic opening round of a race I can ever remember. It definitely blows the water off of last year's opening round when, like, nine guys retired. Now, granted, I don't have the best memory ever, so, like, if we're going back more than, like, five years, it's it's not going to make a difference. Last year's opening round was epic. Um, yes. It was weird, but it was epic. It was epic in a different way. It was epic in, like, a... I don't know what's going to happen next kind of way, but this is more on pins and needles. Like, Oh my gosh, how's this going to end? Like we knew kind of how it was going to end. It was just kind of a matter of seeing it play out. Yeah. Uh, It was awesome. Yes. Agreed. The, and thank you for everybody who watched our pre-race show. We'll keep doing those before every race. It was a lot of fun. I know we got quite a few views, so thank you. And thank you to Christian Denevsky for hanging out and joining top five again. Lewis Hamilton, Verstappen, Botas, Lando, and Sergio Perez. So the the big story that is going to be talked about every minute of every day until the second race of the season in three weeks is the track limits. They were not really policed for practice. They were policed for qualifying. Then they were monitored during the race. Then they... You know, race control said, "Hey, you know, Lewis, uh, you're you're going over too many times." Then, obviously, Max had to give the position back upon passing because he gained the advantage there. So, what did you think of the what? What do you think of the track limits issue? There's got to be a better way to do it. I mean, if we're gonna live in a world where there is tarmac runoff. There has to be a better way to police it. I just think 
wagging your finger isn't the best solution. I also don't think an excessive amount of penalties to everybody is also the solution because there is, you know, ambiguity. Uh, for example, Norris versus Leclerc. Well, it, it's they're side by side. I would give the edge to Leclerc just because Leclerc had the inside line, so he's more likely to let the wheel go on exit and take the normal racing line versus you know when there's a car right next to you. Sometimes not advisable crash collision etc but norris kind of just left the track to avoid contact and they both went on their merry way and would you give norris penalty that for using the track limits like it's like you know there's just no the only good solution is going back to gravel in my opinion or grass or something just it's you're never going to get this right there there's never going to be a system that works because like i saw someone on Twitter, I don't know if it was Gito Vandegaard or Lucas Degrassi, one of the former F1 drivers who said basically there should be a way where if a, a driver were to leave the area there in turn four, that their engine gets powered down by 50 horsepower for 10 seconds. And I don't know if that's that works either because, like, you know, Leclerc versus Norris. Leclerc shoves him off. Norris technically left the track. Does that mean Norris's engine goes down by 50 horsepower? And if also It could be kind of dangerous if somebody's coming up behind you and you're missing right. Engine, right? Or is it a strategy now that if you're side by side with someone there, you're going to throw them off the track just so their engine goes down for horsepower? Or if you're on the flip side, if you're the person who's getting shoved off, are you more likely to bang wheels with a Claire to stay on the track and avoid that? You know, I just don't, I don't see a, a solution to it other than just kind of going back to the way it was. And I know there's a reason for the tarmac runoffs. Yes, it's safer. Some may argue that it's not as safer as far as the cars don't dig in and things like that. But I do think as a whole, going back to the pre-Tilk era of Formula One, I think is kind of their way out of it. Or I don't know. No, I don't like sausage curbs either. I, I, I just, yeah, I think there's ways they try to make it work without actually fixing the real problem here. I saw somebody else say... You know, every obviously every F1 car has a transponder that when you go past the start finish line, it registers that. So why can't they put that technology on the track limit? So if you go over it, it automatically sends a ping to race control and you get a penalty if you if you make that ping go off. That would be a decent kind of compromise in the short term, but I would definitely love to see gravel or, or something out there just anything other than tarmac because there's no good solution there's no i think at least for now they just need to be consistent in their ruling and just it's if it's a penalty in practice it's a penalty in qualifying it's a penalty in the race if it's not a penalty in practice it's not a penalty in qualifying and not a penalty in the race we can't have this flip-flopping because then it's just confusing and frustrating and yeah so Right, that, what we should be talking about how, is how good the race actually was. So, before we get there, because we still have to talk about this a little bit oh, more. No, hope you people are at home are happy. Yeah. Would you have given that spot back if you were Max? Oh, absolutely not. And as much of a clown as Scott Goodyear looked for staying out at the 95 Indy 500, that was absolutely the correct move if you were him. Cross finish line first, argue later. Or even, I don't, I don't know, Max is being weird. I wonder if he's being coached on this pretty well because on the radio he said, why did I have to give that up? Why'd you, why didn't you just let me go? 
after the race, he's like, oh, yeah, kind of my decision, blah, blah, blah. And then later on, he goes, you know, I would have preferred a time penalty instead of giving it back. I was like, well, which is it, man? Like, come on. You're just flip-flopping and playing the good PR boy or whatever. But I think at the end of the day, I would have I would have just kept going, argued later, said, you know, hey, look, Lewis left the track there 29 times in the race. How can he can do that? But as soon as I battle with him and, you know, use the track limits kind of the same way that he's been doing every lap just because I gained a position from it, that's illegal now. Not his first time either. Coda 2017. He left. He had that epic yeah. pass with like four turns left, but I think he got a penalty or something. So, again, it's just uh, if there's gravel there, he's not going to do that. So, he's going to have to find a new way or back out or something. So, again, it kind of it was amazing moment, amazing pass. At the time, I thought it was. I thought I did think it was smart. I I would have kept going, but it was also the smart play because I'm like, oh, he'll just get him back in a lap or two. He just didn't, and that was really frustrating, but I would have kept going. Yeah, there was one point after he gave back where he kind of bobbled coming out of one of the corners, and that was like the like the dagger in, in Max's chances in, in my eyes. But I agree with you. I At least, and I, and I know they said this on the broadcast, maybe there was a different spot on track that he could have given back the position, so he would have put himself in a better position after that but all right we've talked about track limits for nearly nine minutes this is like when we talk about open and closed pits in indycar and i'm sure we'll talk about that plenty this year unfortunately so let's see here the max versus lewis battle the last let's say 10 to 15 laps was so intense that i gave up tweeting thoughts and observations about the race on our twitter account because i couldn't keep up it was that intense. Is this the beginning of F1, a more competitive F1 season or era, maybe? Yeah, it, it kind of makes you, it, it, it definitely has the feel of, you know, like Schumacher versus Hakkinen, Damon Hill versus Villeneuve, Alonzo versus Schumacher. It, it has that feel to it that, you know, this if Red Bull can keep up their pace and even Mercedes, if Mercedes can keep up their pace and it's not just a one driver show we trace, like we've been kind of prone to seeing at times the last couple of years, if, if this, if their pace can continue, I absolutely think we are in for a magnificent battle and you have your, you know, David Coulthard or Eddie Irvine or Mark Weber kind of injecting a win in here, here, there, kind of like Botas and sure. Checo might do. But at the end of the day, I think it's going to come down to Max versus Lewis. And I'm really looking forward to it because everybody on the grid has to kind of look at Valtteri, you know, go like, you know, Valtteri, this is what you're supposed to be doing each week for us. You know, you're supposed to be the one that's fighting Lewis because you're in the same car and you can't. Uh, Max is now the one who has to do it. And when you have two guys who are, ruthless on the track something's gonna give i think you know at some point this season we're gonna see these two collide and i'm wondering what the fallout is gonna be from that and how quote-unquote epic it's gonna be it'll be a lot of fun for us i know oh, that. i know but it brings up a really good point here you brought up a really good point and i'm gonna kind of phrase it in a, in a question back to you i i do agree with you 
So I saw some complaints, blah, blah, blah. It's the same guys up front. It's nothing really changed. But to me, I don't care if it's the same five guys up front or not. The fact that we had two very distinct strategies going the entire race, Mercedes versus Verstappen in, in terms of when they were pitting, what tires they were on, and then the battle the last... 12 to 15 laps of the race overall to me i don't i don't care who's involved in the battle if it's exciting to me it's good racing do you agree yeah absolutely and i think one of the arguments that i've kind of formulated over the years of watching formula one is that the seasons where a driver has to go out and not only beat his teammate and i'm talking like a genuine teammate. I'm not talking Nigel Mansell versus Ricardo Patrese or Damon Hill versus, or sorry, Jacques Villeneuve versus Heinz Harold Frensen. You know, I'm talking like Sebastian Vettel. I mean, Mark Webber in 2010 was a well-respected driver. He wasn't, you know, the number two that everybody thinks of him nowadays because his last couple years of Red Bull weren't that great. But, you know, 2010, Mark Webber was a hell of a driver. Sebastian Vettel's championship in 2010, he had to beat Weber. He had to beat Alonso in really good Ferrari car. Uh, Massa was still somewhat decently competitive that year. And then both McLarens of Hamilton and Button were really good. That, to me, beating having a three-team fight for the Drivers' Championship was epic. And Vettel's win that year for the championship is way better than his other three, in my opinion. 2012 was also pretty epic. But I'm thinking like, you know, 92 and Nigel Mansell basically had to show up to each race. He won like six of the first seven, I think. And the one that he didn't win, his, his tire failed with like seven laps to go at Monaco, which led to that epic duel of Senna. Uh, but like, he just had to show up and win. And that's where Lewis loses me a little bit with his greatest of all time. Some of these seasons, all he's kind of had to do is just show up. You know, Botas isn't going to put up much of a fight. Those first that first year or so with Rosberg, a couple moments here and there, but all all in all, kind of just show up. The, his win on Sunday, I think, was one of his best because he genuinely had to work for it. He had Max right on his heels and held him off, and with older tires. And to me, that makes me respect him way more than kind of just showing up to Silverstone leading fifty five laps. And winning the race. Like, I don't know. I, I really respected this drive from Lewis. And I think it was honest. I mean, he's he's had, what, 96 or something wins now. 96, yeah. This is definitely, I think, up there for top 10. Not only top 10 best drives, but it'll be up there for probably top 10 most memorable as well. Yeah, this is definitely, I'm going to argue, one of his top five wins, at least with Mercedes. But speaking of Valtteri Bottas. God and the lackluster third-place effort with the I-don't-really-know-what-happened kind of reply in the in the post-race. Do you think, if not for the 10-second pit-stop mishap, that he could have contended? It's hard to say no. I think if they didn't have that pit-stop mishap, we wouldn't have had the epic finish that we would have had. I think, I, think uh, I mean, it, it's... Botas, so we'd have to take it with a bit of a grain of salt. I don't know how aggressive he would have been with Max. He might have just been a revolving door, but who knows? 
but Max definitely would have to work a lot harder to get to P2 because I think he would have cycled out behind Botas had everything had they not had the nine second pit stop, which is again, it's kind of just a bad luck thing. So I thought he genuinely he had a fine race. He wasn't. I I can't remember off the top of my head. I think he was like six or seven seconds back when Lewis and Max were having to scrap before he pitted for the fastest laps. So did you? I I was talking about this with some of the racing league guys last night. Did you think it was all weird with Mercedes that basically they didn't have any fresh mediums and given that they sent Botas back out on mediums to do his fast lap, which I know like that would have been enough to secure it anyways, just given that he was on fresh tires. Kind of alludes to the fact that maybe they didn't even have fresh softs either. Do you think that is kind of weird that basically they come into the race with only one strategy of working medium hard hard? I mean, unless you go into the weekend with that strategy, which I don't know how you do on the opening round with kind of all the you know the the changes in F one this year. Yeah, it's it's a little a little weird. I didn't understand why they put them out on mediums, but at that point, I was so tired from the race, I kind of kind of didn't really think about it. But yeah, I I didn't quite understand either of their tire strategies on Mercedes. You, you'd think you'd want at least a scuff set of reds available for the race even if it was you know you run one qualifying lap on them in q3 or 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 q1 or something like that to get through but yeah that's that's a good point it's definitely definitely one of the otter mercedes tire strategies i i can recall in the last handful of years scuffed reds make me sounds like indy car season here (laughs) uh easier to call it that yeah perez so we talked about it in the live show that Perez didn't make Q3, mostly down to the fact that he and the team decided to do it. I don't know if it's his decision, but the team decided to put him on a mediums for that last glory lap in Q2. And he, I, he was very close to making Q3, but it wasn't far off. But some guys in Q3 put on softs instead of mediums. So Perez started P11, had a breakdown on the parade lap, somehow got going again, though and had to start in the pit lane. So now he's starting dead last instead of P11. Did some good tire strategy and worked his way back up to P5. I know it's his only his first race, but Red Bull have this reputation of chewing drivers up and spitting them out whole. Did he already save his job with just that one race? Well, first off, I would love to see his like heart rate monitor from from that race because that was a roller coaster of a weekend roller coaster of like 26 hours but i mean it's it's way too early to say anything like that but given how saturday everybody was going oh my god red bull sucks the second driver will never compete with max uh you know you know it was all doom and gloom to see him come back and put on a drive like he did even though technically the the stat sheet says he started P11, he started P20. And so he made up 15 positions on a different strategy than essentially everybody else on the grid. And I mean that was one of if not yeah, one of the one of his best career drives by far. So I think he's quieted down the talk of nobody can drive next to Max because he proved he can he can wheel that car. I don't know if he necessarily saved his job because there's still 22 races left and a lot can happen, but I think he's on the right track. Yeah. No, 
intended. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, kind of we talked about preseason, like him, signs, Ricardo. We just need to give them a couple races. I also saw, I didn't have it in here, but I saw it today that Ricardo came out and the team said that he had floor damage that impacted his race. So, oh. I th- which is weird because they were almost trying to justify why he was slower than Norris, which I think he finished like seventh or something. So it's not like he was seventh. Not like he was awful. Yeah, seventh. Uh, hey, quick question before we talk about Fred and people who had a bad weekend. I, I'm, I'm looking at the, the finishing positions here. Gasly and Latifi are listed as DNF. Did did we just miss that in the last bit of the race? Because well, yeah. I don't. Gasly was I don't crash damage and Latifi was turbo, something like that. Okay. Um. Well, I mean, that's what I saw after the race. I didn't see that okay. during the race. I think we were so yeah. fixated on right. the the epic battle that I don't. I, just, I don't think they were, they weren't going to pull the IndyCar coverage move of checking on P seventeen Danica when you know, Dan Weldon's fighting for the lead or whatever. Um, all right. Well, since we got those retirements out of the way, we also have to talk about Fred. Uh, I'd say first third of the race, Fred did really well. He he kind of looked like 21-year-old Fred again, kind of making crazy moves and, you know, breaking deep, etc. cetera. Uh, then his brakes started to fail. Turns out a sandwich wrapper got into his brake duct, and that caused the overheating, which led to his retirement. That has to be up there for one of the more weird retirements we've ever heard, right? Fred has a lot of trouble with strange things hitting his cars. The bird at Indy. Double bird. Double bird. Yeah, thank you. Sandwich wrapper. Do we know what causes his engine to fail in the race? Was that just GP2 engine ineptitude or was that? (laughs) That, That was the year where Honda was having a bunch of problems. But there wasn't like... A balloon that destroys the environment that got sucked in or anything like that? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. Not that I remember. Well, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, not much to add to that one other than you feel bad for him. Yeah. Um, Sebastian Vettel uh, <laughs> came into the weekend with a clean slate and leaves the race weekend with five penalty points. And if I remember correctly, I think you need to get 12 and you get once you get to 12, you get a one, one race ban. And so that's 12 points over the course of 12 months. So now he has these five penalty points basically until March, whatever, 25th or 6th of next year. So that's uh, almost halfway there already after one weekend. So he got three from uh, speeding under yellow flags in qualifying after Mazda spin had a, an incident. And then two because yeah, I might go first on this one if you don't mind. Two for hitting Ocon. Okay, so mistakes happen. I get that. What I never understand with Vettel, and I get heat of the moment, I am very passionate, especially when it comes to sports, is first thing on the radio, every time Sebastian Vettel play card is, what was he doing? What He just ran into me. He just ran me off the track. It's never never him. And then you see like after it's like immediately pulls into park for May. Shakes Ocon's hand, says, my bad. Goes to the TV cameras, my bad, totally my fault. I don't understand why the instant reaction of him every time is it's not his fault. Like, he does the classy thing in the end. I give him credit for that. But, it, it, like, when you listen to this radio message, Ocon literally just passes him, stays in his lane, Vettel hits him, and then gets mad at him. I, I really wanted to like Sebastian Vettel more this year. 
and then he says he turned into my lane Ocon literally didn't even turn the wheel and you're not even an Ocon fan and you're saying that yeah I'm defending Ocon I'm so confused right now I just it's <laughs> so confused. frustrating it's just like yes he gets credit for like doing the classy thing in the end but everybody kind of seems to forget that he's just when he didn't he say something like uncanny when he spun at Monza two years ago and then like came back out the live track and took out Stroll and whoever and like on the radio he's like what was that it's like you literally came Probably. back onto a live track like what is wrong with you so I don't know that was very frustrating so putting that aside uh, he was out in Q1 um, not entirely his fault with the spin and the yellow flag in the race. He, I think he was trying for either an elongated two stop or a very risky one stop, but basically he was kind of hanging in the 12 to 15 region for most of the race and then had the contact with Ocon and had a drive through for avoidable contact. Uh, Lance Stroll made Q3 decent race, nothing to write home about, but no glaring issues. Yeah, so he he finished P10, so he got Aston Martin's first point, so good for him. Uh, so what is your overall assessment of Aston Martin after week one? Disappointing. It's hard hard to be happy with a P10 and a P, not P15 or something like that, P14. And yeah, you know, Vettel's qualifying. It's hard, you know, the, the yellow flag rule is is so fine-tuned and i know they they do it by the data so you can't really blame the fia on this one but it's it's hard to fault him for that too much at least this time but the ocon contact man that's bad stroll had a you know he made i think he started in the top 10 started eighth or 10th yeah started 10th finished 10th it's fine i mean better than vettel so I don't know how much that's saying, but yeah, I think it was a fine first weekend. They didn't have any reliability issues on the car. There's no turbo issues like they had in, in the preseason. So it can only get better. Well, I guess technically it could get, wor- could get worse, but yeah, it, and there's plenty of room to go up. And to touch on that point, I think one thing we have to remember with this team is that they are using their own car for the first time in two years. So a lot, a lot of kinks to work out with that because, you know, Last year wasn't their car. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. Moving on. Uh, Nikita Mazepin. What do you have? Five spins leading up to the race and then made it three corners before crashing? There is a now a website that tracks Mazepin's spins. I shared it somewhere on social media the other day, and it's delightful. His, I mean... Again, on the preview show, I said he'd do better in Schumacher. We still have 22 races. I'm not going to back down from that one quite yet. His debut went about as well as one could have expected Nikita Mazepin's debut to go. I think it w- I wasn't even expecting it to be as bad as it of a weekend as it actually was. And I, I and this is what Martin Brundle said in broadcast. Like, I know his car is terrible. Haas's car is horrendous. And as I shared on social media on another one of my channels, it basically Haas this weekend basically had the worst debut weekend we've seen in like 40 years or something. Um, Mick spun on the restart. 
looked like kind of the same issue, just the too much wheel spin at the rear, not enough grip. Yeah. And he recovered though. I mean, he finished the race at least. It's kind of just an elongated test session for him. I don't know what else. I mean, we don't probably need to touch on this each week or after each race about how much Haas sucks, but obviously there's a lot of, a lot of analyzing that goes on after the first race of the season. So I think we can safely at this point, like put them as low hanging fruit instead of picking them on, on to do bad because it's, it's that bad. But the website is M A Z E S P dot I N. So may spin is the website. It has a tracker by when he spun, whether it was practice, qualifying, or the race. It also has a counter of it has been two days, six hours, and 53 minutes as of you know, us sitting here recording since his last spin. And then it has video of every one of his spins. So it was created by some guy on Reddit. I mean, this is a lot of work. I'm, I'm a little impressed. I will... I will share the link on social media because it's funny, but yeah, let's, let's, let's move on to another rookie who was, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I just had a, one thing to say is that I just lost my train of thought. What was I going to say? Hang on a second. Sorry. Oh, I got it now. Okay. Three, two, one. I do have to give a lot of credit to the, and I know we've sung their praises recently, but the formula one marketing team, they must be, sending out these Instagram videos with one eye closed when they do the, here's how Nikita Mazepin's debut went. No snark in their, in their caption at all. They just would do the same if it was Sebastian Vettel, you know, show the spin, show the replay of his onboard, and then kind of have the caption of his radio overlaying the, the onboard video of what happened. And, it, you know, professionally done. They're not like trying to, you know, poke fun at him or anything. It's kind of just like, here's what happened to, for those Nikita Mazepin fans out there. And just the comments like, Oh my God, this one, I think 10 hours into the video had 4,700 comments on Instagram. I'm just like, Oh, these probably aren't all, uh, or they're exclusively going to be negative as are most Mazepin posts this year. So, um, credit to the, the marketing team though. They're, I don't think they're, they're playing favorites or anything. They're just kind of, marketing the drivers they have and and giving us a good thorough recap of of what happened in the race so it keeps us all well informed i guess um yuki sonoda my man my guy to win a race out of the non-top four drivers there this year uh we're, we're still a very long way from that but i at least i have some hope here uh had a terrible start i think you gridded p12 or 14 somewhere in that range and then uh, no he was 13 because he's directly behind perez um i think he was 18th after the first lap greetings from evergreen podcasts we're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you the information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers i know most people don't like ads But this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. 
We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. Or 17th, which is sad because, you know, Mazepin spun and Perez started from the pits. So he had a horrendous start. But uh, clawed his way back up and got some points. I think he finished ninth, and including the amazing overtake on Alonzo. I think that's when Alonzo's brakes were starting to fade. But still, he was on hard tires, broke to the inside, outbroke Fred, apexed perfectly, no lockup, no drama, smooth on the exit. It was as about textbook of a send as you can find. Um, and his, his quote, I just trusted Fernando's skills and just launched it. You know like a rookie. That's just one of the most epic rookie quotes. Right. From a Can't do that in five years. Okay. You just ask Takuma Sato that. <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, definitely an impressive debut from him. And then on the flip side, Gasly, who started fifth, broke his front wing on the race restart, hitting Ricardo. I don't know if that's where Ricardo's floor damage come from. I guess I didn't put two and two together there. Um, and so, yeah, Broke his front wing, basically ruined his whole race. Um, yeah, he never had teeth after that. Never recovered. I don't know if there's more damage. Um, obviously, his strategy was kaput. So, uh, that's definitely not what we were expecting, right? No, no, definitely, definitely not. Especially considering he was in your predictions, which I'll say for a minute from you now. But... Start playing that game this early in the season. Trust me. Our predictions actually weren't that bad, but nonetheless, yeah, it's, I just, I, I thought even after his wing damage, you'd see him bounce back up and, and be near the top 10, but he was nowhere to be found the rest of the race. He probably, I guess, had more damage or something or just something in the car. Maybe he just wasn't confident at that point, but it, it really wasn't his fault or Ricardo's fault. It's just one of those racing deals, but. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a shame to see and definitely not what we expected. Nope. Uh, before we get to our last item here, uh, kind of the only areas we didn't really talk about. Um, Lando Norris finished P4. Good for him. No real dramas hey. on the day. Just fast, calm, collective. Uh, Alfa Romeo is definitely faster than we think they are, but they're still... They're basically probably the worst of the rest so they're definitely ahead of Haas and Williams but they're still maybe have a little bit to go to catch uh like Alpha Tauri Aston Martins etc but still a good job by them but the last item we're going to touch on here before we recap our predictions is Ferrari they looked pretty darn good especially in qualifying uh Leclerc P4 signs P8 or 7 somewhere in there um 
race, Leclerc was impressive early. Um, kind of faded a little bit, but they both still scored points, which I think is way ahead of what we were expecting them to do because they've been so negative this whole offseason. So, it was something we kind of talked about on the live stream. Obviously, they're not fighting for wins right now, and I don't potentially foresee that other than maybe at a brute force track like Monza. Do they have to rethink their strategy now, or should they still stick with their... I mean, because let's say they don't develop their car now. They still might be competing for points each week, which isn't the end of the world. Um, But if they have an eye on the future, maybe they'll be fighting for wins next year. So do you think they should rethink their strategy at all and start to develop the car a little bit? Or should you stick with what you know and focus on 2022? I think at this point... You know, they've they've committed to the 2022 strategy and they're probably thinking, OK, we've already made improvements. We were sixth and eighth. We'll have some better luck some weeks, some maybe some worse luck mixed in there every now and then. But if we compete for points week in and week out, that's good enough for this year. Probably keeps my my buddy Mattia off the hot seat a little bit. So <laughs> that, that prediction might might go down the tubes. But I listen, if you're contending for points and you're not going, you're not contending with the Red Bull and Mercedes on a weekly basis. I don't see really any needs, any reason to completely change or even partially change your strategy. I agree. I think it's it's important to look at what history tells us in that Red Bull tanked in 2008 so they could succeed for the next five years and sacrificing their long-term picture just to kind of satisfy a short-term need is not the way to go. So Unless you're Mercedes, Red Bull, or McLaren, I think it's time to. It's kind of already sad because it's already been round. It's only been round one. Um, maybe if you're like an Aston Martin who's who's confident that you can get P4, which you know, like we discussed, Lance Lance Str- or Lawrence Stroll is going to do. Um, I think if you're any other team, you just start to pack it in for next year, which is. I think what Haas started doing four years ago. So let's move into our predictions for the race. I had Lewis Hamilton winning. You had Max Verstappen winning. Pretty good battle. I won. All right. Moving on to bad. Uh, I had Sebastian Vettel doing bad. You had Esteban Ocon doing bad. The prediction gods that be are so spiteful of you that they made my bad prediction wreck your bad prediction just so that my prediction would do worse. That That's how yep. petty they are towards you. Yep. Uh, Dark Horse Top 5. I had Gasly. If you look at uh, in size 1 font next to Top 5 there, it says qualifying. Oh, does it? I don't think it I don't think oh, it does. Well, that's let's, if we had all of a sudden changes his prediction, like let's not get bogged down on the details here. Uh so Gasly finished seventeenth and you had Stroll um tenth. At least, at least my guy finished in the points. Well, again, my guy out qualified here, so he's definitely faster. I'm not disagreeing with that. <laughs> but I know you're just looking for ways to to, to outdo me on this one but my driver uh, has a lower net worth yeah <laughs> all right and then we can both laugh at ourselves in this one i can definitely laugh at myself at this one uh well ferrari make q3 you at least had one of them making it an unspecified one hopefully leclerc and no i said leclerc. It, if you go back and listen i definitely said leclerc 
but you don't remember what you had for breakfast this morning. I don't. That is a good point. <laughs> I don't. I don't believe you, but that's okay. And then I had zero. I had none of them making it. So that's that's. Uh, we'll just kind of gloss over that one. Uh, all right. Who was your driver of the day, though? Sergio Perez. Guess I don't, I don't really need to write this down. Um. Yeah, we don't need to write this down. We're not going to make fun of ourselves later on, are we? Um. No, we do that enough. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't ever like. Okay, obviously, like Lewis and Max are great, but it's hard not to get amped about what Yuki Sonoda did. Um, I try to kind of maybe look for a little more of the underdog driver of the day because obviously Checo won the fan vote, but then I think second and third were Lewis and Max. Uh, But Yuki, what he was able to do, um, and again, kind of in the same boat as Checo, which is a a tough seat. Uh, you know, kind of results now kind of see, but he's already proving to be a very marketable person. So um, a lot of positives going, if he can keep his kind of head on his shoulders and, and continue to do well in these races and not make too many mistakes, I think he's got a bright future. So definitely good for him. Uh, disappointment of the day. Well, since after this weekend, he's pretty much low hanging fruit. I'm going to take maze pin while I can. It just didn't all around awful weekend and i don't really have much more to to add than that he probably ran home to dad and said dad can you fix my car for me and i'll just leave it at that yeah i was gonna go with vettel just uh another good one yeah it's obviously a little early but um this is kind of the trajectory that he's been on, unfortunately, the last couple of years. And I hope it doesn't come true because he is a valuable asset to the series. And uh, he has a very huge following of fans out there, but it obviously is a very disappointing start to his tenure at Aston Martin. And then lastly, which team surprised you the most this weekend, either positive or negative? So let's go positive and let's go Ferrari. I mean, we didn't expect both guys to qualify in the top 10, both guys to finish in the top 10 after their dismal last year, where I'm sure that didn't happen too many times. And I think Leclerc and Vettel crashed into each other in the, either in the first or the second race last year. This is definitely a nice surprise to the start of the season for them. And I'll go negative and I'll go Haas. Um, they're giving me serious 2010 HRT vibes. Uh, HRT was a new team in 2010 that had to, like, they changed ownership before they even got to the grid or they changed uh, uh, when they applied for the the grid selection or the grid spot that they got. They started under, I think, Adrian Campos's name, but then ended up having to transfer owners or something. But they did not do any sort of preseason testing they their first time on the track was during free practice for the first race of the year at Bahrain and I think like Senna made it nine laps in the race or 10 or something and then I can't remember what Curran Chan Hawk did but that that I mean it was about as good as you think a car that never took the track would do in their first race and they got more reliable as the year went on but they weren't exactly fast but that was a team that just started and just took the track for the first time. And then now we're talking about a team that's, you know, again, they're they're focusing on next year probably. 
but Ferrari has improved the power on those cars as we've seen from Ferrari and Alfa Romeo's times. And it seems like Haas is the exact same spot they were last year. So I don't think they, I'm not sure entirely if they even touched the car in the off season. I don't think they did. Which no. makes you wonder where the money from daddy Mazepin and all the controversy that's come with that. What has yielded them so far? Other than maybe a roof over their heads. Marketing. <laughs> what marketing? <laughs> you mean sponsor <laughs> logos? Because I can tell you right now, yeah, I wouldn't right. want to be in the social media department at Haas F1. No, I'm sorry for the Haas F1 social media crew that has to deal with this dumpster fire for the last couple months in the next... Two, three well, years. Pretty much, until, pretty much until at least until next season starts. Even then, probably still going to be a dumpster fire. Um. Yeah. It's yeah, they're, it's, they're they're giving me serious HRT vibes, and I think they are on a trajectory to be one of the worst teams in Formula One history. And if you're Mick Schumacher, that's that's not the the ideal way to start your career. But I guess it's only only one way to go is up. Yeah, I. That's like the most positive thing we're going to be able to say about them all year. Right. All right. Let's get to some headlines before we round up the show. So. uh Here's another one. You know, we talked about Fred and the sandwich wrapper. Here's one that I'd, I've honestly never read, and I honestly didn't think I'd ever read uh, as far as Williams. And I think this was George Russell who was saying it. So basically, their results are going to yo-yo in 2021 based on how the wind is. The wind, the W-I-N-D, just in case you think I'm saying that wrong or you don't understand what I'm saying. The wind is going to dictate their results. They said they've made arrow breakthroughs, but one of the faults of the new aero packages, et cetera, that they put on the car is that the wind is now much more impactful to said car. Did their whittling department take like unnecessary precautions before the season started? Or what do you, what do you make of all that? So I, I appreciate the fact that they at least tried to improve. I, I'll, I'll give them that. And yeah, they. I think they have a little bit more distinct parts on kind of like the back fin of the car before the the rear wing and or or on the rear wing. I I can't remember. I know I read the art. I, I read what the article here you posted before, but it's something that listen. They're probably not going to work it on on it during the season because you know, they they know where they're going to finish at this point. But it's. Somebody, somebody definitely. I feel like somebody messed up in in the aero department, and they were like, "Well, it's better, but it just can't be windy." So it's like it's still technically an improvement, but it's also still semi dumpster fire. <laughs> semi dumpster fire. We need a Wikipedia page for all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm glad they they have data to back up that they have improved. Um, it would be weird if we showed up to Imola and there was no wind and be like George Russell finishing 12th. Be like, okay, I see you. Uh, it's just a weird one. It's one I've never heard before. Um, so anyways, um, the FI stewardship leadership has come out and said that they will be much, this is prior to the race this weekend, that they'll be much stricter on first lap incidents and penalties and et cetera. Uh, unrelated note, the FIA has come out and said that based on his first lap crash, that Nikita Mazepin is no longer allowed into Formula One. <laughs> I, don't, I really didn't know where you were going with that one once you started it. And I don't know if that's what they mean by stricter. I'm just kidding, by the way. 
Um, but they will be stricter. So like 15 people, which is weird because they actually, everybody did a really good job of getting through turn. I don't even think signs broke his front wing on stroll and or not broke, but some sort of arrow device came off his car and turn whatever that is eight. Uh, but no, nothing in turn one that caught my eye other than obviously Mazepin spinning. So, um, really good job by everybody getting through turn one clean. So question is now. We're obviously going to get some sort of lap one incident soon. Do you think they're going to back up their talk as far as, I mean, we spent the first seven minutes of the show talking about track limits and how there is, is slash isn't penalties, et cetera. Is this going to be one they're actually going to back up? I have trouble answering that. And that annoys me because the answer should be yes. So I'm going to say yes. If you're, if you're coming out and saying, Hey, you know, we're going to pay more attention to this this year collisions are going to result in penalties even if it's a minor collision if you spin somebody or or force them wide far off track or or what have you so for now i'm going to take their word on this one we will certainly see f1 is is you know from a a standing start is always bound for a corner one issue at least a few times a year so considering the first race of the year was very smooth on lap one and and the first sector outside of Maze pin. I was I was pretty impressed, but we've got two more to get to here. Mercedes says their engine has a D rating problem, which in short order means they run out of engine boost on the long straights. And also Mercedes based. We'll combine these into one. Lewis thinks the FIA has adjusted. I can't even say this seriously because it's so annoying. Lewis Hamilton, Sir Lewis Hamilton, thinks the FIA adjusted the aero rules for 2021 to slow them down. So I don't know how you want to unpack this one, but I will let you go first. Well, the first part is uh, I think definitely Mercedes has lost some sort of engine strength they've had over other teams this offseason, especially Honda. Um, Yeah, if you noticed in the broadcast, the the Mercedes light at the rear was blinking a lot once it got to the end of the straight, which is not good, especially when someone is peak DRS at that point. So not good. I don't know if they could fix that. I don't really know the whole regulations on the engine freeze and all that stuff, but uh, interesting to see if they come out with some solution. And secondly, um, not going to sit here and say that Lewis Hamilton hasn't had a penalty thrown his way that wasn't justified because he's had some really, really bad calls goes not go his way over the years with just like five second penalties or uh, what was it? Sochi. I mean, yes, he had an infraction from starting outside yeah. of their designated area, but I thought the penalty was quite harsh. Um, Austria, five seconds for spinning Albon. It's kind of, 50 50 but then cool. like stroll a couple of races later didn't get the same penalty right. so that's why like i get what he's saying in some aspects of that but i think when it comes to aero regulations i don't buy it i think uh i think one of the goals the fia had was making the cars being able to follow each other better and they definitely did that i think the first race this year is a very promising sign that maybe these regulations will definitely enhance the racing this year i thought there was much more overtaking. It wasn't the just same generic DRS pass every time. You know, there was a lot of guys going to the outside, some going in the inside. Uh, Signs, Alonzo and Vettel were three wide down the straight, which I thought was super cool. 
Um, so it's definitely a promising sign. I'm not sure about Imola, but we'll see. Um, but I don't think I could be wrong. I mean, who knows? I, I could definitely be wrong, but I really don't think, and especially they were talking about the rake forces of the car and how the low rake of the Merc is more impacted than other cars that weren't necessarily relying on it as much that that means that they were targeting them. And I really don't think the FIA was trying to, I mean, this has been, they've had FIA could have done something after each season for the last six seasons to do something. And they didn't, or if they did, it was super duper minor. And now they're up in arms because of the 10% down force reduction to like the floor of the car. Like, are you kidding me? I think the most promising sign was, you know, Verstappen following Hamilton those last couple laps, kind of up, you know, up that right hander at the beginning of sector three when you go up the hill. And he was able to kind of hang close with him there. And and that's kind of an area in the years past where dirty air was really affecting guys. DRS or no DRS, guys were able to follow very closely and 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 get dicey. Obviously DRS helps the passing still, but I think it's on the right track, like you said, and I, this is not a target at Mercedes. This is a target at knowing an area of weakness is the on-track battles and looking to improve that. So, no, Lewis, please stop. I was just starting to really appreciate everything Lewis Hamilton, and then he has to say something like that. The engine problem, yeah, it's something that's going to pay you know, worth paying attention to all year. I don't think... Imola will be as much of an issue for that, but it will. Imola will be good for to see the all the how the new arrow regulations of, affect a little bit windier track. So, and for the most part, lack of track limits, which is Imola is a great example because they have track, they have curb, <laughs> but then a lot of turns they have like excess curb, which may not be as grippy, but it's still better than like grass or um sand or gravel or whatever but then beyond that is gravel and sand and stuff so like a good track should be yeah so hopefully i don't know what's after imola is it portimao already or i already forgot yeah i think it's portimao which is another 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 solid one so i think uh i think the track limits one will kind of be on a track by track basis depending on well, how the track is designed. Yeah. Agreed. Well, I think that wraps it up for the week. Guys, hope you enjoyed the race as much as we did. We'll be back next week. Probably plenty of news to break down. I'm sure Lewis Hamilton will be complaining about something and we can make fun of Haas some more. Again, thank you if you tuned into the live stream before the race. We'll be doing those each and every race, even if it's just me by myself at 4.30 in the morning if there's some ridiculously timed race. Hopefully not, but I don't really remember what time most of the race starts are this year at this point. So next one's at eight o'clock. Uh, central. Yeah, that's, I, yeah, that's totally doable. And anything where it's you know China or, or Singapore might be the difficult ones, but we'll have some fun with it, even if it's in the middle of the night. On that note, Matt, you got anything else? No, uh, thanks for following along on Twitter and thanks for those who tuned in the live stream. We got more coming. Yeah, guys, enjoy the weekend and we'll be back next week. 
Today's podcast was presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. If you're a podcaster, you can apply too immediately and get connected with advertisers that fit your audience. Go to podgo.co at eodgo.co and let them know that we sent you there. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix, dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.